Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Over here, uh, this is just the beginning stages of just some updates that we talked about uh, that's coming up here for us here in the sanctuary. Um, And uh, so... We just wanted to try to make that choir riser area more uh, centered, and uh, so it's uh, we just took out the part that wrapped around here. Some 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 are saying we don't we didn't even realize it came around right there, but that's uh, that's what that is. And obviously, all of this is going to be recarpeted. The carpet's on order, and the chairs are on order. So. Uh, so the next thing we'll be doing is removing probably Brother Pritchett, what is it, three three pews there in the back and cutting that carpet out and we'll be putting the, Lord willing, putting the sound booth back there and kind of just uh, reworking some things. Good to see Brother Toby. Pray for him. He's, he's uh, recovering from surgery. He had to have some repairs done. So we appreciate him going ahead and being here. Hey, I'm glad you're here tonight, all of you. Praise the Lord. In the house of the Lord on a Sunday night. Amen. Good to see you. Good to feel the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> really, really is. Praise God. Well, let's take a little bit of time in two passages tonight. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And then we'll take a look in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. Wednesday night here at 7 o'clock, got a lot of different things going on, youth clubs, youth programs, uh, sanctuary service, Bible teaching. We're, we're uh, in the 19th chapter of Revelation. We've, we've spent uh, several weeks there, and we're continuing to work our way through. So join us. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3 Stand together as we read 17 through 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness. Everybody say fullness, fullness of God. But notice how Paul refers to the multiple dimensions of the gospel by saying the breadth, the length, the depth, and height. Praise the Lord. Now, let's let's keep our finger there and... uh, Turn a few pages over to Luke's Gospel, Luke 14, verse 27. These are the words of Christ. He said, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it 
began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth, uh, and that word means ambassador, ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for the word of God. Thank you for what you've shared with us tonight from uh, this gospel and then also from Paul's epistle. I pray that it would uh, be spoken into our hearts. I know you dropped it into my spirit. Help me to be able to communicate it. Hide me behind the cross. May we be drawn closer to you than we were when we walked through the doors tonight. In Jesus' name, all God's children say a big amen. 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 Somebody say 3D in 2023. 3D in 2023. Dedicated, determined, and driven. God bless you. You can be seated. In Ephesians 3, in that text, Apostle Paul refers to the multiple dimensions of the gospel. He mentioned uh, breadth, length, depth, height. This evening, I, I want to look at three and not four. I want to work. I want to work with what I call a three-dimensional believer, uh, and I like to think of it as a threefold call, really, of every believer. How many believers are here? Amen. It's the call of every believer to be dedicated, determined, and driven. And I want us to just take a few moments, examine these three dimensions and how they should be a part of our lives. So let's get to work. What do you say? Everybody say point number one, dedication. If you go to Christ's words in Luke 14, uh, he basically assures us that it requires 100% dedication if we're going to follow him to the finish. The imagery that Christ speaks of in referring to us, not only here but other places, as far as taking up our cross to follow him, he's speaking of, of complete devotion or complete dedication. Because in that culture, when you were carrying your cross, it spoke that you were dying. Right? You were going to die to self for sure. It spoke of being dedicated because a lot of those that were crucified during the Roman era <clears throat> were those that had devoted themselves to overthrow the Romans. They felt they had a higher calling and they were willing. Many of them chose to uh, enact strategies and uh, be involved in tactics that would uh, they felt was a higher calling so that they could overthrow the Romans. And they, they felt that if they did get crucified, they gave their lives for a greater cause. <clears throat> now, uh, perhaps 
How many know dedication these days, um, or the lack thereof, in our current generation is kind of amusing? Right? Um, I was thinking this week, it takes about 90 gallons, they say, to baptize a Christian. But only about nine drops on their windshield to keep them from church. Right? Somebody say, I want to be dedicated. Somebody said, we could, if we could envision dedication like this, sign your name at the bottom of the page and allow God to fill in whatever he wishes. That's dedication. I mean, oh, God is looking for some sold-out, dedicated believers. I know some folks will sell out and dedicate a part or parcel of their lives. I was reading something this week talking about part-time Christians, part-time Pentecostals, and how many agree that a part-time Christian is no match for a full-time devil? Mm-hmm. But this week I was, I was in Joshua chapter 14. Boy, I love the book of Joshua, don't you? Joshua 14 and 8, we find a senior citizen. His name was Caleb. Scripture reports that he followed God with a whole heart. Caleb was so devoted, so dedicated, even at the age of 85 years old, that his dedication at even that age motivated him to make a military move that would end up taking an entire mountain region for God. Somebody say, you go Joshua. Right? Man, 85 years old. If God leaves me in this world until I'm 85, I want to be like that. Right? But you look at Caleb's life, and it reveals kind of a three-dimensional dedication because it was complete spiritual dedication. It was complete physical dedication. It was complete material dedication. I mean, he shows us that dedication is really a, is, is a single-minded devoting of a person or object or action to the honor of God. And now if we, we recap his life, we find that in his younger years, he... He was one of those that successfully spied out the land of Canaan on assignment from Moses. He was one of the 12 spies we, we know that was sent in at Kadesh Barnea. He then survived 40 years of wilderness wandering because his report along with Joshua's was ignored. Uh, so after 40 years, upon finally returning to the promised land, he decided to launch a military campaign and conquer the territory of Mount Hebron by defeating what Scripture reveals was the sons of Anak. Uh, now, if you know anything about the sons of Anak, they were giants. You know, David, he went down uh, in history and was known for slaying a giant named Goliath. But how about Caleb? Scripture says he slew three giants, the sons of Anak. I mean, and, and he wasn't young, right? 
He managed to do that at about 85 years old, right? If you follow the chronology. When he should have been in a retirement community, <laughs> playing golf every day at his local country club. He's out here fighting giants. That doesn't inspire you. You, your inspirer's broke. The reason he could do this is told us in Numbers 14, 24. God says of him, my servant Caleb hath followed me fully. Amen. Praise God. It's okay to say amen. It really is. I don't know if you get nervous about it. Some of you might, but it's okay because the key in Caleb's life was his dedication. Hmm. And I believe on six separate occasions, the scriptures recorded the fact that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Six times. In a day when many were content to partially follow God, Caleb says, no, that's not for me. I'm going to follow him wholeheartedly. And we learn from Caleb that, that our own changing and aging weakness can bring an influx of God's unchanging, unaging strength. Isn't that a good thing? We learn from Caleb that being loyal to God just really reflects his loyalty to us. And the Lord himself affirmed Caleb's dedication in Numbers 14, 24. You know, I want the Lord. He certainly knows the hearts of everyone. I want him to say that of me. That he fully followed me with all. This is the thing that matters most, is it not? What does the Lord say about how we're following him? Caleb's life uh, suggests three great reasons why we should wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Number one, that God may be glorified. Secondly, that others may be edified. Thirdly, that I may be satisfied. Because when it comes to that God may be glorified, there's only one kind of life that truly glorifies God. And that is a life that is wholeheartedly dedicated to him. Right? And then you go to point two, that others may be edified. Which life is the greater power or influence for the Lord? Is it the life that is half his? Or is it the life that is wholly his? And then that I may be satisfied. This may sound like a selfish motive, but it's really not selfish because how many know we all seek satisfaction? And true satisfaction is only found in wholeheartedly following the Lord. Amen. Because dedication to God has no limits. Christ told us in our text that cross-bearing means total sacrifice. The hymn writer, how many know he nailed it when he wrote, I surrender all. Have you ever tried to sing that song like some of us live it? I surrender 95.5%. Often when we ask for a person's signature, we'll call it, hey, I need your John Hancock. How many's ever heard that? Do you know why we say that? Yeah. 
goes back in history. There, this is because of the 56 signatures on the Declaration of Independence. If you've ever seen those signatures, one stands out above the rest. And that's the signature of John Hancock. And the story says he was the first to sign the Declaration, and he signed it in large, legible script. So he said that the King of England could read his name without using his glasses. Hmm? Mr. Hancock wanted it to be very clear where his allegiance lay. His commandment to, or excuse me, uh, commitment to this country, new country at that time, was clear that when King George III offered amnesty to all who would cease fighting, John Hancock was among the select few who were left out of that offer. Why? Because the king already knew where his dedication lie. Right? Tonight the question is, has our signature let our king know of our dedication and our commitment to him? May our prayer be, Lord, I'm yours. Everything I've got, everything I am. Well, Gavin, do you remember the story of the gingerbread man? All right. Anybody in here forget that story? I'm going to remind you of it. <laughs> Let me refresh your memory because it's a great... You didn't ever see the gingerbread man as a theological character, did you? I didn't either. The story records that as soon as the gingerbread man came out of the oven, he jumped up off the cookie sheet and began taunting the grandma who had baked him. Remember that? And he shouted. What did he shout? Run, run as fast as you can, but nobody can catch a gingerbread man. And off he runs with grandma nipping at his heels. Oh, come on. Did you bring your imagination tonight? She chased him up and down the city streets until she found him trying to hide in the window of a bakery. She grabbed the gingerbread man out of the bakery window and was, was leaving when the baker yells out, Wait! That'll be ten cents. <laughs> Grandma pulls out a dime and hands it to the baker. And that's when Grandma holds gingerbread man to her chest and whispers, First I made you, then I bought you. Now you're really mine. Right? Listen, church, I believe if we can listen closely, we should be able to hear the Spirit of God whisper the same statement to you and I. He whispers, first I made you, then in Christ I bought you, now you are really mine. But too many of us are still running from him. Oh, come on, help this preacher. He whispers, I made you, I bought you, you're mine. See, true dedication realizes whose we are, who we belong to. Okay, that was the first point. You ready for point number two? I can drag this first one out if you're not. I think they say, get on with it. First dimension, 
dedication. The second, determination. How many know to run this race of faith is good, but to finish it is best? Hmm? It takes determination to finish anything, really. Paul, at the end of his life, oh, I love Paul. He, he says, I fought a good what? He said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. Paul was faithful to the fight, faithful to the faith, faithful to the finish. Many a child of God's life could be described as having a first-class dedication to secondary things. Now, I want you to think about that. Wouldn't it be revolutionary if we put as much determination into eternal matters as we do into temporary ones? The problem is a lack, it's not a lack of enthusiasm. It's just enthusiasm for the wrong things, right? We're guilty of first-class enthusiasm for secondary things, things that's not going to last. Paul was a man that gave first-class dedication and enthusiasm for the main thing. Paul was a man of focus. Paul was a man of fervor. And the concentration of his life was on the supernal. And the dedication of his life was on the eternal. And the dread of Paul's life was that Christ should be dishonored. The great fear of Paul's life was to do something that would bring dishonor to the name of, our, name of his Lord. And the determination of his life was that Christ would be declared among all people. Christ was Paul's life. If you read about it in Philippians chapter 1, along verse 21, he says he was determined to preach Christ everywhere, present Christ to everyone. And Paul shows us that determination is the strength that carries us through to our destination in spite of the obstacles. The word obstacle is a compound word derived from two words. I was studying it this week. It comes from two words obstruction, and tackle. How many know every obstruction in life has to be tackled? Determination is the ability to tackle life's obstructions. See, God has created each of us with a purpose. How many in this house believes you have a purpose? Well, if you don't and you doubt it, I want to reassure you, you have a purpose. If you're breathing oxygen tonight, you have a purpose. And God's purpose is to really become our destiny. But in order to fulfill our destiny, we're going to need more than a dream. We're going to need something called determination. And Scripture says in 1 John 4, 4, year of God, little children, and have overcome the world because... Say it with me. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. By virtue of the fact that we're of God, I, I, I take comfort in that. It helps us determine uh, to overcome every uh, obstruction and challenge in life. It's reassuring to know that there's nothing that can stand between us and God because greater is the one that's in us. Isn't that good? It, it may seem at the beginning that we're losing ground, but, but remain determined for, the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Say that with me. If God be for us, 
Who can be against us? Listen, determination realizes it's not over until God says it's over. Hmm? And determination is what allows us to retain courage, remain strong, and even cheerful in the messes of our life. Anybody ever made a mess of your life? See, God spoke to Joshua multiple times telling him, be of good courage. Be strong. It's sobering that many people do not fulfill their purpose and reach their destiny for which God created them. And the reason is they give up on the way or along the way. They give up. We see examples in God's Word. How about the example in 2 Timothy 4.10? I looked at it this week when I thought of Demas. Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Listen, Demas was a ministry companion, co-laborer of Paul the Apostle during uh, Paul's ministry and, and, and really during his early ministry. And it appears that the love of the world had actually got a hold of Demas. And Paul was put in prison and Demas was like, is this where this is going to get me? Hello. So he let the love of the world master him. He deserted the Apostle Paul. He deserted the faith. Hmm? Deconstructed. That's a word we hear a lot these days. Listen, determination, though, is the strength that carries us through the path uh, and along the path of success in the middle of all the challenges. In the middle of all the distractions, Paul met a lot of obstructions. He met a lot of distraction. However, that is what he said in Acts 20, 24. He said, but none of these things move me. None of these things move me. He could say that because he was determined to finish his course. He was determined to complete his race. Come what may. Listen, if we don't have, if we don't want the plan of God for our life to be terminated prematurely, we're going to have to possess some determination somewhere. How many remember that old gospel song? I am determined to hold out to the end. I ought to get up a choir and sing it. May of 2001, you remember the story of Eric Weinmeier. He accomplished something that only a handful of people per year will ever do or ever did. And that is, Eric reached the top of Mount Everest. The thing that made Eric's achievement unusual is that he was the first blind person to succeed in scaling the tallest mountain in the world. Eric was born with an eye disease that by the time he was 13, he had gone completely blind. And rather than focus on what he could not do, he made the choice to focus on what he could do, and he went much further than almost anyone expected. And Eric's autobiography is titled, Touch the top of the world, a blind man's journey to climb farther than the eye can see. Oh, that's inspiring, isn't it? Many times we face a choice. 
Are we going to allow the obstructions to stop us? Will we keep pressing on regardless of opposition and trouble? It would be nice, wouldn't it, if following Christ meant that things would always work out good. That people would always like us and that family would always pat us on the back and give us the attaboy Daves. Listen, the reality is that many times doing what is right requires a lot of overcoming complications. And we should not expect constant smooth sailing, nor should we allow troubles that arise to convince us to quit because we are determined. A while back, we was at the, uh, over in Michigan at the Ford Museum, and they have the little, what's the little city or town there set up? Green something. There it is. They have Thomas Edison's workshop. He's another one that inspires me. Though he would later be acclaimed as one of our greatest inventors of history. Thomas Edison's school career. You know how long it lasted? Three months. Three months. His teacher believed that he was incapable of learning anything. Sent him home. So his mama became his teacher. But what he was is he was on his way to a lifetime of overcoming what seemed to be insurmountable challenges. And amongst his most famous inventions, hey, we can say thank you, Edison, for this light bulb. Hmm? So one of his most famous inventions were the, was the commercial incandescent light bulb. Most of his inventions required months, if not years, of, of determination before seeing any positive results. Listen, folks, very few things of lasting significance and value are achieved without overcoming serious difficulties. How many's ever heard the term overnight, overnight success? I've come to believe there's no overnight success. It may seem like that to some folks but it's actually a story. Behind every overnight success story is a story that someone had to persevere and face great difficulty and disappointment. Whether it takes 45 minutes or 45 years to see God's promises fulfilled, church, we need to stay determined. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am determined. All right, well, that's the second point. Are you ready for the final point? Let's not all shout at once. Point number three, not only dedicated and determined, but driven. And what I really want us to look at is this idea here to answer the question of whether we're going to be emotionally driven or are we going to be Holy Spirit driven? Because to be honest, 
How many realize our feelings are both the bane and the blessing of our existence? At times, excitement and joy are the flavors of our day, while at other moments, discouragement and despair can set the course. And our emotions, no matter how hard we try to regulate them, seem to always reflect the delights and the disasters of life. And while these feelings do not in any way authenticate truth, they clearly reveal our own understanding of the truth. And since feelings follow thoughts, feelings can also reveal thoughts. I want you to think about this. You're going to have to just hang with me. I'm going somewhere because how many realize our emotions, they're a gift from God? How we manage them determines whether or not they're going to be a blessing or a curse. So that's where the stewardship of our emotions must come into play as believers. And it is critical to a healthy spiritual life to steward them well. Because since God created us with emotions, He wisely sent us. In the New Testament, we're going to look at it. He sent us the emotional part of Himself to help us manage ours. And what some believers don't realize is how important the infilling of the Holy Spirit is. And, and how important the Holy Spirit is in regards to the managing of our emotions. In regards to what is driving us. Many don't realize that the Holy Spirit works as a personal spiritual trainer. To get us into spiritual shape so that we can start acting, looking like, and reflecting the one whose image we were created in. To be like Jesus. Remember that song? See, people who live driven by their emotions end up resembling a lot of different things, but Christ is not one of them. Proverbs 29, I think it is, uh, 11 says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Another translation reads the same verse, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Someone said this, feelings are like waves. You cannot stop them from coming, but you can decide which one you're going to surf. Oh, yeah. Everybody's going surfing. USA. Never thought you'd hear that one from the pulpit. The issue is, which emotional wave are you going to ride? And all God's children says, amen. Another wise person said, never make permanent decisions based on temporary feelings. 
Oscar Wilde, remember him? Famous playwright from London. He said, I don't want to be at the mercy of my emotions. I want to use them, enjoy them, and dominate them. If our lives do not reflect the fruit of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, then we're not being spirit-driven. We're being emotionally driven. And somebody once remarked that they believe God has more children who don't resemble Him than any other father in history. That kind of shook me. Hmm? It shouldn't be that way. The devil's not afraid of people coming to church. He's afraid of them starting to look like Jesus. Oh, yeah. And the existence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is what m makes us take on the reflection of our Heavenly Father. How many is glad you're part of the family of God? How many know with being a part of the family of God comes responsibilities? And our spiritual growth and maturity are directly related to our cooperation with the Holy Spirit's work in our life. If you was to read in the book of Acts, you will find that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, there came a transformation in the lives of Christ's disciples. Before Pentecost, let's take Peter for example. Peter was impulsive. He was fearful. He was emotionally driven. Right? But after Pentecost, he became courageous. He became committed. He became constant. The Holy Spirit had changed him. Peter was famous for denying Christ three times before Pentecost. But he was changed after Pentecost from following his feelings to declaring his convictions. And from making popular decisions to making principled ones. From running when problems arise to rising above. Of the rising problems. He was, Peter was transformed, church, from deflecting personal responsibility to taking personal responsibility. He was changed from following the demands of the crowd to declaring the truth to the crowd. Listen, that's what happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to occupy the driver's seat of our lives. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? They are called the sons of God. Spirit-driven people live in freedom. I said spirit-driven people live in freedom. But emotionally driven people live in constant chaos. Hello, spirit-filled believers are driven to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit rather than to be pushed around by their feelings. Oh, may God raise up a generation that realize uh, that greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world, and even greater is He that is in us than those feelings and those emotions that we sometimes want to give in to. All right, all right, all right. I want to finish. I really, really want to finish. I'm telling you, I'm going to finish. But I want to finish by mentioning three bad drivers that we allow oftentimes to occupy the driver's seat of our lives. All right? Are you ready? Have, everybody, have you ever met a bad driver? Some of you are poking your spouse. Stop that. 
I want to share with you three bad drivers. The first bad driver that we allow to run our lives sometimes is called rules. That's the first faulty way to live the Christian life is to just live it by a set of rules. Now you hang on to your hat because I'm going to get a little deeper and I'm going to explain this. This is where we live our lives by saying we got to do this. Don't do that. Do this and this and this, but don't do this or this. How many know there's a lot of people whose view of the Christian life is just a list of do's and don'ts? Is this preacher preaching truth? Some of you are like, I'm not sure right now. Do you know in Christ's day, this group was called the Pharisees? For them, they had their lists. And it was simply the Old Testament law warmed over and brought into the New Testament. The problem of letting rules be in the driver's seat is that they often take over and they drive us to a destination called legalism. And all God's children say, Amen. Legalism is at any is is let me let me describe legalism. Legalism is the attempt to please God on the basis of what we do in the flesh. And I'm gonna go on and talk I'll come back to this one because rules have their place. We need them. We must have them. They just cannot occupy the driver's seat of our lives. All right? Okay, so I'm going to need three drivers. We've got three chairs over here. We're going to do a little illustration. So, so what are we talking about first here? We're talking about rules. So rules is as old as mankind. So, so I need somebody at least over 50 years old <laughs> represent rules. Brother Smith, would you help me? Oh, thank you, Dad. You're such a classic. Dad's going to come up here, and he's going to sit right over here. And he's going to be driver number one. And he's going to represent rules. So, Dad, if I get mixed up, remember, your driver number one represents rules. Brother Cooper, if he needs reminded, you remind him. Okay? Rules have been around for a long time. So what kind of car is dad going to drive? Let's put him in an old classic. You want to go with a 57 Chevy? All right. Right here, dad. 
You've always wanted to drive a 57 Chevy. Where's it at? Give me the keys, he says. All right, get your hands on the wheel. Act like you're driving it. What's a good old 57 Chevy sound like? Is that okay? Is this okay? Some of you don't know how to smile in the house of God. Sorry things. All right, Dad, get out of his way. Where's he going to take us? Remember, driver number one rules always takes us to a destination called legalism. Okay. Driver number two, these are bad drivers. How about driver number two is called formulas? Lots of folks attempt to live the Christian life by some cute or catchy formula. Listen, we've all heard of formulas. Three steps to answered prayer. Four keys to Christian victory. Five ways to know the will of God. I like formulas. We need to have them in our lives. But once again, they don't need to be in the driver's seat. I've got formulas in my life. So whether it's three ways, four ways, five ways, how many know our Christian bookstores are filled with formulaic admonitions? for how to live the Christian life. Now, what's wrong with the nice, catchy, cute formula, Pastor? The problem with letting the various formulas drive our life is that after a while, they produce mechanical Christianity. And how many know mechanical Christianity is found in the book of Revelation? And it's called lukewarm. You got a name that you're living, but you're really dead. You're doing all the right exercises and activities, but you've lost your passion. Help me, Lord. Who's going to be my formula driver? All right, come on ahead. Brother Elijah. So you come in here. What kind of car? Hey, formulas are smooth. What's that? He wants a Mustang. Okay. All right. So you sit down there. Get your hands on the wheel like you're driving a Mustang of your dreams. What's it sound like? Mm. All right. Well, if I get in with him as my driver, where's the destination going to be? Destination lukewarm. Hmm? 
Well, we got one more here. One more bad driver. Now that driver is called experience. How many know some people live the Christian life by seeking and experience? By that I mean by seeking a deeply moving, life-changing, earth-shattering, emotional experience with God. And how many know we do need those? I love them. I've had some. But how many know there's a problem with that? And that is this. Experiences don't last Right? If you try to live according to your experience, you're going to either give up the Christian life altogether or you're going to be going on emotional roller coaster ride. You feel great as long as you can have an experience, but what happens when it runs out? What happens when it wears off? You break down. Hello? You get down, you get discouraged, you get depressed, and sometimes some folks feel like God's nowhere to be found, and some of them feel like He's angry with them. So you'll seek for another what? Experience. And the whole cycle starts all over again. You're going to be constantly going up and down. Up and down, the spiritual yo-yo. All right. So rules lead us to legalism, if, you, if they're in the driver's seat. Formulas lead to mechanical Christianity. Experience. Who's going to be my experienced driver? I need one more driver. Brother Grant, can you help me? Being the youth pastor, he gets picked on when nobody else volunteers. So, let's see. What kind of car can Brother Grant drive? I, he's a Honda. Honda Accord. Is it up and down? The roller coaster? We should give him a pogo stick. <laughs> okay, let's get your hands on the steering wheel and give us what your Honda sounds like. <laughs> it doesn't make much noise. But experience leads us. If I let him drive, I'm going to go from one experience to the next. I'm going to be up after Camp Blessing. Two weeks later, my knuckles will be dragging the ground. Hello. Pastor, when are we having a revival? Well, you had an opportunity Sunday night. Where were you at? Hmm? Come on, church. 
Now, something needs to be said at this point. I want to clarify something. Don't misunderstand me. Let's recap. Rules are good. After all, God's got ten big rules. Do not steal. That's a rule. And it's a good one to live by. Thou shalt not bear false witness. I mean, no, that's another good rule to live by. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's a really good rule to live by. So rules are not bad. There is an important place for them in our lives. The place is just not in the driver's seat. Secondly, formulas. They can be very helpful. They can be insightful. If you discover five ways to pray and it works for you, that's great. Keep it up. Right? I said, keep it up. You discover three ways to determine the will of God. That's good. Formulas can be helpful. But be careful if you put them in the driver's seat. Thirdly, experiences matter. Brother Grant, have you had some powerful experiences? Sure you have. If, if I gave him the chance, he could probably share some. There are times, there are places where God comes to visit his people in tremendous emotional power. And most of us who have been serving the Lord for any length of time have had those moments when we're either alone. Hey, I've had moments in the car driving down the road. Praying just me and God. Powerful ones. Listen, it was an experience. Whether it was on the road, in a prayer service, or in a church service, or in a revival meeting, or at youth camp, God has met us with great and powerful experiences. We don't want to ever say that experience is not important. I tell people from time to time, you need to get a real experience with God. So rules, formulas, and experience, somebody say they all have their place. But taken alone and allowed to occupy the driver's seat of our lives, they will each lead us to a substandard Christian life. Why? Because they, they tend to shift our focus don't miss this. They shift our focus away from the one thing that is most important in the New Testament. God has given us something better than rules. God has given us something better than formulas. God has given us something better than any passing experience. God has given us the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is the key that needs to be the relevant driver in our Christian life. And if we want to know where the victorious Christian life is found, it is found when we allow the Holy Spirit to, to slip in the driver's seat and we say, Lord, I surrender to you. I dedicate myself to you. I am determined to stay with you. Listen, friends, if we want to know how to live in constant victory, 
just be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you were asleep, that ought to woke you up. She said, sure did. Praise God. Did you get this? Huh? Did you get this? Thank you for being in my life. I've had some great experiences. Thank you. I've read books and I've gleaned from them. I've got formulas that's helped me. I've had rules. My dad was my pastor. He was my boss all at the same time. He had rules for me. When I was dating his little girl. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the rules. Guidelines and boundaries are good. But we've got a chauffeur from heaven. Hallelujah. I said, there God has gifted us with a chauffeur from heaven that said, if you'll let me get in the driver's seat of your life, ye shall receive what? Power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The newborn infant church in the New Testament traveled around the then known world after Pentecost and they saw multitudes come to Christ. They saw multitudes get saved and filled with the Spirit because they allowed the Holy Spirit to be in the driver's seat of the New Testament. Testament church. Listen, Christ promised that the Holy Spirit would be the driving force if you would let Him. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody raise your hand and say, I'm thankful I've got Pentecost. I'm thankful that like Zechariah's prophecy said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This all-pervading, all-controlling, all-achieving Holy Spirit is the only source you better put in the driver's seat. Praise God. Hurry up, Pastor, so we can go home. Okay. <laughs> Listen, folks. Some of you is nervous tonight because you've let your finances drive you. And there's days when the bank account drops. Huh? I worked construction job years ago for a gentleman who had thousands invested in the airline company Boeing. And every time I'd be around him, he was listening to the stock report. His day, if he was up, joyful, you knew Boeing's stock was up. And if he was down, you knew. Yeah. Listen, don't let your finances drive you. Don't let your formulas drive you. Don't let your rules or even experiences drive you. 
As a church, it's not our administration. It's not organizational skills that should drive us. It is not our holiness separation that should drive us, although that is important. It's not our programs that should drive us. It is solely the person and work of the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to do exploits, to promote the interests of the kingdom of God, to overcome Satan, and to win the lost. Somebody say, Holy Ghost, get in the driver's seat of my life. Stand with me, I'm closing. Church, we cannot have any success without the Holy Spirit. Why are so many Christians namby-pamby and afraid to speak the truth and afraid to take their stand? It's because they're not letting the Spirit of God be in the driver's seat. They fear man more than they fear God. They covet the blessing of the culture more than they covet the blessing of Christ. Listen, their souls are filled with other things until the gospel boldness has become gospel coldness and that's why we need a spirit driven church rather than a fad driven church a formula driven church a finance driven church some are tremendously religious and ever learning but never coming to the full knowledge of the truth and that truth is church we are dead in the water unless we have the power of the Holy Ghost raise your hands and praise him Ooh, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost. Somebody needs to switch driver's seats. I said somebody needs to get out of the driver's seat. Somebody needs to tell experience and formula and, and rule to scoot over because you're going to let the Holy Spirit step in the driver's seat tonight in January of 2023. Oh, somebody praise him. Hallelujah. I've preached too long. Somebody that says, I want to let the Holy Ghost get in the driver's seat. Why don't you slip out of your seat? 